0: Hello, hello. Welcome back, leading women in tech. It's another Tuesday and another podcast episode is dropping. How are you doing? How's your September? We're nearing the end of September. The weather's cooling off, maybe. I'm actually recording this at the beginning of September, and we've got a heat wave as I'm recording this. So it definitely doesn't feel like it, even though a week ago it was really, really cold. And I was like, well, that's it. The year is done. Summer's over. Um, but I'm guessing at the end of September, it's turned a little bit cooler, certainly in the northern hemisphere anyway. But today I am honoured to bring onto the show actually one of my clients, the amazing Catherine Van Diver is sharing her wisdom with you today. She's a global engineering leader and she prides herself in taking a can-do approach to motivate her team through software delivery, product updates, code modernization, and team transformation. I brought her onto the show because she is one of these women who you can't help but be inspired by. She has a reputation for turning things around, for bringing teams together. She is a true people leader, although as she'll tell you in the show, she has a little bit of jealousy for the technical work that she grew up doing and thrived on for the longest time. But today, with experience at startups and Fortune 500 companies, Catherine is best known for extracting the best from her teams to deliver products and also delight those customers. One of her core skills is in partnering and giving a voice to influencers and naysayers, something that I think we all need to do more of, by the way. And right now, she is VPE, Vice President of Engineering at a startup out of San Francisco, but she's held a variety of roles. And you're going to hear a little bit about that during the interview today. So, and just a little note, end of September, doors will be opening to Lit Up Leadership Academy any now. Like, Uh, it's actually going to be early October. So if you want to make sure that you get access to the amazing Little Ship Academy, I mean, this is game changing. Some of the women who have been through it this last time around, I mean, they have promotions in just a couple of months, they have onboarded into being in a new position as a leader. These women are rocking it. And I would love for you to join this group moving forwards. If you are excited about getting some support from me, but aren't ready for one-on-one coaching, go check out the Lit Up Leadership Academy. You can go to tonycollis.com forward slash academy to find out more. And although doors are probably not open yet, they shouldn't be, you can sign up for the waitlist and be one of the first people to hear when doors do open once again. I would be honored to welcome you into the Academy. So, if this sounds like something you are ready for, head on over to tonycollis.com forward slash Academy. Let's go to the show. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. Welcome to the show, Catherine. It's such a pleasure to have you here.
1: Thank you, Tony. It's great to be here with you today.
0: I'd love to start with you sharing a little bit about your personal story or what I view is very inspiring career history and how you came to work in your current role as a VP of engineering.
1: Thanks. Um, let me start out first by talking a little bit about where I'm at today, just so you have a sense of where I am. Um, I'm currently a VP of engineering at a startup based out of San Francisco. And prior to this role, um, I was in um, the storage area for about 15 years, building out strong infrastructure with data analytics thrown in. My journey began back when I was just a young college grad. I began working on operating systems as a Unix kernel developer. It was a really interesting time. This was when a lot of companies were going from a proprietary operating system into Unix, which later became Linux. There was a lot happening at the time here in Silicon Valley. It was very energetic. We were working exciting long hours um, and really trying to beat out the competition that was also in the middle of this fantastic transition. Along the way, I really enjoyed uh, early bring-up of operating systems and also took the lead on a couple of projects that I was working on. With leading, I found that I, I liked the coordination effort of what I was doing and eventually um, moved into more, um, more areas of responsibility and went from a, one company to another company. Again, growing my career, being able to take a leadership role from one company to another company. And then eventually ended up at Sun Microsystems, where I hired a whole lot of new college grads to work on a really big project. After about... Eight or nine new college grads, my manager turned to me and asked me to manage the team because I had already hired them, I had trained them, and I already had been managing them. So we just decided to make it official. And that really began my leadership journey from going from an engineer to a tech lead to a manager. I followed that manager to another group with a promotion from manager to senior manager. And this is where things for me got really interesting and a lot more fun. Um, we had acquired another company at Sun, and there was a effort of trying to join these two companies or these two teams together to build out a brand new best and breed product. My role was to take these two teams who had been really battling it out in the IETF with the standards bodies to come together and create something that was unified, that was the best of both products and a reinvention of this brand new product. And with that. I learned that I had to really extend into a lot more collaboration, a lot more communication, getting teams to open up, getting teams to work with each other. And that was very different than being a technical lead. A technical lead is usually where you're the technical anchor on a team and you're guiding a group through the details. This really stretched me into a space where um, it was new, which was getting other teams to open up and, and work together to create this brand new product. It was exhilarating because in the end, we did. We built this brand new product. And these two teams um, really grew to have a deep respect for each other. And we worked together for about three years before uh, going on to the next uh, evolution of of the product itself. I then took this experience and capitalized on it and went to um, another company called NetApp, where again, there was another acquisition that had been taking place. Um, and again, going through an effort of bringing two teams together to build a new product. And I started to see a pattern in myself that I could do this. I enjoyed it. I thought the people person was really fun. It was a lot of hard work because now I had to get people to really come out of their own shell to work together in a way that they didn't even think was possible for themselves, being that they were working with a competitive team now coming together through an M&A. And I I found that that I had a pretty good knack for that. So I actually ended up doing that two more times, where I moved companies again and brought teams together, and then moved companies again and brought teams together. And in reflection, I realized that I was actually quite good at this transitional point of when companies were evolving, when they they were going through a fairly large reorg. And I began to seek out opportunities where I could help companies go through that transition. And that became something where I was, I was fulfilled because I had a chance to learn. I was always learning new technology, always learning new skills, um, and always helping teams come together and build something brand new. And I would say that uh, it, at some point, I was sought out by um, a company in the early 20s, uh, um, about the mid-2015s or so, to be a VP at a company that was going through yet another transition and this was a company that was acquired by Teradata. Um, and I was—I it was a company called Astrodata that was acquired by Teradata. The founder of Astrodata asked me to come in and lead engineering through, again, another transition of engineering maturity, going from being a small startup to being part of this bigger company. And again, I went in and worked with that team to help them mature their processes, help structure them, and help get them working with the larger parent company. And after a couple of years there, I left to move back into startups. So that was really the start of my executive journey into the VP role.
0: Oh, wow. How did you come to it working in your current job today? What's made you step into your current role again as a VP of engineering?
1: Well, after the role that I... Um, after Teradata and Astrodata, I went back to head of engineering at small startups, running teams that were anywhere from 15 to one twenty people big. Um, smaller teams, a lot more nimble, a lot different pace being at a small startup, very few rules, but yet helping put rules in place around process, but also kind of breaking process along the way because it evolves when you break it. Um, where I ended up today is I was at a company for um, a while running um, a significant initiative for them around product growth. And I built a team of about 35 Um, really taking it from an incubation group of around six up to around 35. And it had a significant impact on business for that, for that team. Um, and then after that, I took a role that was a director role and I felt that I would be really satisfied as a director, but I discovered that I wasn't. Um, I really, I wanted to have something with a little more stake, more table stakes as far as strategy, direction and leadership. And so that's what launched me back to becoming a VPE. I hadn't intended to be a VPE again. My goal was to stay at the director, senior director level, which I felt was a really comfortable spot for me. But after taking a director role, I realized that while I had a lot to offer, I felt unfulfilled because I knew I had more to give. And what I wanted to give was really having more conversation with vice presidents of product management higher level executive management. I felt that I had a lot of insight into how engineering can be run, insight into processes for engineering, and wanted to partner and collaborate with the teams that were making the business decisions to bring engineering up to where they wanted engineering to be. And so that's what launched me back into being a VPE. And so that's where I'm at today. I I landed at a VPE role at a startup.
0: Oh, I love it! I, there are several nuggets along there that I want to dive into briefly. Um, one of your early statements was that you found that taking on your first people leadership role was very different from the technical leadership role, and it really stretched you. And I, I want to highlight that a little bit because I think for many people they don't realize—you know, we've we've worked hard to get our technical skills right. I mean. I wouldn't want to go back and repeat my PhD and my master's, right? <laughs> to be honest. Um, we worked hard and we, you know, we think that's the hardest thing we're gonna ever do. And then a lot of people get tripped up by assuming that people leadership is easy. And one of two things happens in my experience. Either they go in with blinkers on and assume it's easy when it's not and they do a terrible job, or they come up hard and think, holy heck, I've got to level up here. Clearly, you did the latter like what w- what do you wish you had known at that time before you went head on into that?
1: I went into the role not knowing the technology, and I went into the role not knowing that it was going to be a merger of two teams. Uh, I had no idea. it was a manager who believed in me who brought me over. I followed him from one team at at some Microsystems to another, and then this transition took place while I was there. What would i have what what do I wish I had known um? Well, I was very fortunate to have a manager who backed me. He really believed in me. And so I had, I had his confidence. And so he, I felt very good about that, that he was confident in me. That was my first introduction to really driving toward business goals. I didn't have the business background to see really what we were doing. I still went into that role and I went into that role a little more brute force about bringing these two teams together. And I did it my way. I didn't think about the business as much. But I think also because I didn't think about the business and thought about the technology, I was able to bring these two teams together.
0: So you've mentioned that you became a bit of a go person for bringing teams together. Why do you think that's your jam? Like, what is it that you find that you do that exceptionally? Because clearly you do. Because otherwise, people wouldn't be asking you to do it all the time. Like, What is it that makes that your, your unique specialist and your zone of genius, do you think?
1: I really like to empower people to, to come together and share ideas. The first time I did this with this one group um, that was kind of battling it out on the IETF, one of the things I did with them that I thought was unique was I had them sit down and tell each other what they admired about the other product. So they were they were in the standards bodies. Negotiating standards for for a new protocol that was evolving, and yet had come up with different solutions, and I wasn't the technical anchor on that. They were getting them to talk about what they admired about each other was actually really fascinating. And what I learned is that getting people to talk about what they're doing, what they're working on, trusting them because they're the team that has the hands on the keyboard. I always think of engineers; they're the ones who know the code, they know the algorithms, they wrote the algorithms. Having them talk about their achievements is a great way for getting teams to come together, but also admiring achievements of of the work around them. You can have a really hairy piece of code. You can have a really hairy architecture and people, people know in their hearts what is in that architecture, where it needs to evolve, where it needs to, um, what complexities are in that architecture, what they've achieved, what challenges they overcome. I don't know that. So, asking them questions and getting them to really unravel what types of things they've they've overcome in order to build it is a great way to get teams to come together. When you can do that with each other, so if I can bring a team together and start talking about, um, you know, what were the challenges they they faced when they were writing that code? What were the challenges they faced when they were coming up with that solution? What were some of the prototypes that they created along the way? How did they decide? Where to settle on as far as the prototypes go, what experiments and modeling. If we can share those things with each other, then you can get a really rich conversation. And that's what I've done to really help people come out of their shell and start to collaborate and begin discussing where they can you know where they can come together and, and solve new common problems.
0: Oh, I'm glad you, you talked about that and actually that empowering people as well, because one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is we've worked together now for four months and you are simply an extraordinary leader. I hope you know that <laughs> for the audience. She's currently blushing. Just going to say that out loud. <laughs> um But everything, every conversation we have, I see extraordinary empowerment, leadership, really trusting your workforce. So now that you've been in your current role for four months, what are some of the lessons you've learned? Like, what are the things you're like, gosh, if I knew that four months ago, I would have gone even faster. Not that Catherine hasn't gone fast, by the way, people. Like, she's gone extraordinarily fast. Is there anything you're like, I have learned this and that would have helped me four
1: months ago? If I think about the coaching that you and I have been through just in the four months, it's being confident with myself, being confident with my decisions, not being afraid to work with teams and call people out on things that I think need to change. Um, I think that's a big part of it is I feel like I've in my role, my job is to really protect the company and bring engineering forward. You know, we're a business. We're running a business. We're here to drive. Um, business. we're not a charity. So our goal is to really you know my goal is to take a team and focus the team, get them to account to to focus on what matters, what we call the wood behind one arrow or all the wood behind one arrow. But I think at the beginning I had a, I had some reservations. I think I was pretty shy about really trying to make some changes that I thought were necessary. And I think with your coaching you were able to help me see that these changes are you know they're valid. Um, help me work through how to implement those changes. I knew I had to do it, but it was great to have that encouragement from you, Tony, just so we could look at different scenarios, unpack them a little bit, talk about different tactics of an approach on how to make those changes. So it was the things that I would have felt four months ago, really just about my own ability to assess the situation correctly and um, act on it. And I knew how to do that. But with your coaching, you really just helped me feel more confident in doing that.
0: Oh, that's lovely to hear. Um, actually one of the things I've seen in you is you you obviously thrive on empowering people, right? And I've seen with a lot of leaders, like it, it tends to be either they're very good at empowering, but they're not so good at that actually having to have their uncomfortable conversations and push the change because they're so focused on the empowering or they're so focused on like, this is what I need to have happen that they don't empower. And what I see you've developed in the last four months, it was already there by the way, I just allowed it to blossom a little bit more, but um, I've just you know, enabled you to realize you can do that. But like what I've really seen happen with you is that you are holding those two things side by side. They're not mutually exclusive, which I think a lot of people think they are. You can empower and you can still create great change. And those two things actually, when done together, are extraordinary. And that's what I really see in you. Have you any nuggets of wisdom on like how you're able to hold those two things together?
1: First and foremost is to learn to be quiet and listen. The most important thing in any role is to listen. Ask questions and then just pause and really soak in what people are telling you. Don't try to impose your idea on them, but let them say what's on their mind. Internalize it. And then instead of making a quick judgment on it, really thinking about you know, what you want to do with that bit of information. I think that comes with any role. I, I would say if there was one thing I've probably learned in my career is to just do a lot more listening than a lot more talking. Uh, I think that leaders today, when you can do that, then you're really hearing how people want to be empowered, what they care about, how they see their team. The direction that they want to take their team, their experiences, coming into a new role as a VPE into a new company, there was already a management team in place. Who am I to come in and make a change on this management team without learning and understanding what they've been through so far? So there was a huge part of just listening, asking questions, but also building in my mind, kind of the punch list of things that I thought I would like to understand more and go after. And now I'm to the point where I have a fairly good grounding of where they've been, what challenges they're facing, the the strengths and weaknesses of their teams. So then I feel I'm in better, a much better position to go forward with them as a management um, team and as their team leader.
0: And how big is the team that you're currently taking care of, shall we say?
1: Right now, it's 80 Um, I have, uh, line managers and then groups under, underneath each of those first level managers. So it's a total team size of 80 and we're growing. (laughs) Every company in this town is growing.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And I know that one of the things we've talked about a little bit is is you're stepping up and really owning this VP position is you've got itchy fingers to do some of the things that you've done when you've been a senior director or a director. And there's a little bit of jealousy of like, oh, I don't get to do that anymore. And we've had quite a lot of conversations around that. Um, and I think that's just a really good insight to share with people because I think we do get itchy fingers. But tell me, like, what is it that you've had to go through in order to like be okay letting
1: go of this stuff and not feel jealousy anymore of it? That's a good point. Um, the jealousy really comes from. I'm a technologist. I mean, I went into this field. I studied engineering. Started out working on operating systems, as I said at the at the beginning of our discussion. I love the technology. I love the hands on. I remember a project in my early days where I was so overjoyed with glee on being able to get something working that I almost had tears coming down my eyes. I mean it's just, you know, you feel this exhilaration when you're writing a really tough piece of code and you finally get it working. And it's so overwhelming um, after a long time of of you know working through it. When you're when you move up in the management chain and when you move up into leadership, you have to let a little bit of that go. You have to be able to be okay with not being the technical lead or knowing every detail and just instead trusting those around you to know those details and up-level to you, um, communication, letting you know what's going on and pulling you in when they have roadblocks. So it really is different. So you're right. it is. I have had a sense of jealousy along the lines of, gee, I'm not in that room whiteboarding with the team. I want to be able to map out an architecture with them. I want to be able to challenge them on architectures, I can still do that, but not to the level of detail that they are because that's their job and that's what they're thats what they working on. And I have to trust that they're doing an effective job at that. And I know they're doing a great job at that. My role is how do I take all of this, bundle it up and build a strategy, and then go work with my business partners on making sure that what we're building out of engineering aligns with the overall strategy. And that's where the relationships come in with um, the product teams, uh, my management, the leadership team, the marketing teams, what is it we can do in engineering to help empower us to go forward as an organization? So we're aligning all of engineering around what those broader initiatives are for the corporation. Yes, it is. It is. It was definitely a little jealousy not to be in those rooms or be able to say and share what I thought because I really have to allow the teams to figure that out.
0: Oh, I love that you shared that with us because I know so many people struggle with this. Like, hey, I am glad to hear I'm not the only one that has cried over solving a bug and a bit of code. <laughs> that was me pretty early on in my career for like a number of years, shall we say. <laughs> it's a painful process. Um. <laughs> um so actually, let's that's, that's kind of take you a little back, back a little bit there because early on you said that you you stayed as a director because it was comfortable for you um and you know you weren't necessarily going to go back up to this level why did you feel that comfortable was good for you because obviously I talk a lot about getting uncomfortable all the time being comfortable with being uncomfortable and because that's where we grow and that's where extraordinary stuff happens but obviously there are times in our lives where we do want to just stay comfy so what was it like why did you stay back there was there the jealousy thing going on maybe (laughs) And what happened so that you were ready to step out of that and up-level again?
1: I'm a learner and I like to always be learning things and I always like to push myself. I've always had my own projects as well. Even as a director, there might be a side project I'm working on, not coding, but just initiatives that I'm working on to help um, define things. And I honestly, I tend to get a little bored after about three and a half, four years of working on the same thing. I get to where I've reached... A point where I need to do something different, and that—that's always what's launched me to the next role, um, either within a company or by looking for something outside of the company. Uh, in my last role, where I was a director, I built a team. I was really, really proud of the team I built. Um, we achieved a lot. We had these fantastic partner relationships and business relationships as part of an engineering group. Um, but I—I I was just ready for something bigger and something more, and I wanted to have more of a strategic input into some of the items that we were doing and how we were doing them. And even though I was partnering with the product team, I felt that we were still thinking too small. And I was thinking bigger. And I wanted to just really go push that bigger thinking. And I felt that I couldn't do that where I was. And so that's why I moved on.
0: Interesting. Because I think you are thriving as a VP. I, I can't see you... Going down a level, other, other than because you've moved to a much bigger company and therefore you've got that level of responsibility in a different way, because yeah, you just you li- you light up when you talk about your job. You really do. Which is one of the reasons I wanted you on the show. <laughs> um, Well, uh, so on that note, actually, talking about comfortable and uncomfortable, one of the things I have loved about being your coach is that you're so willing to have those conversations that are uncomfortable, learn from being uncomfortable and move forwards. What do you think has helped you come to this place? Because not everybody is as open to those difficult conversations where we really learn and grow as I see you being like, why are you able to do that, do you
1: think? You know, being a VPE, it can be lonely because you don't have somebody to go and talk to. I don't have a person who's my peer who I can just close, you know, go behind a closed door and say, hey, I have a problem. And even if I did, it wouldn't be appropriate. I feel that I'm able... I That's why I come to you. That's why I I have a coach. You're the person who's my confidant. You're the person who asks me how my week went and we dive into how my week went and I can tell you what's going on. You have a history with me. We've walked through this journey together for the last four months. You've seen from the moment I started at this company to where we are today. It's just been really great for me to have somebody who has grown with me, has taken me forward, um, and who I can go to and say, Do you remember that thing we talked about three weeks ago? Well, it's back again. And Tony, I I need help. Yeah, I don't, maybe I look at it a new way or I can come to you and say, Tony, remember that thing we talked about three weeks ago? It worked and this is awesome. And now this person is my biggest champion and vice versa. We can have that because we built this relationship together. And I think for me, um, when you are, when you are a VPE, it can be lonely and you need that connection to somebody, to a coach in this example, which is just why I love working with you so much. It's just been fantastic to help. Work through those issues with me to help have that conversation. Who, from a completely unbiased perspective, say, Stop, Catherine. Let's just take a look at this. Let's dig into this. You said something. I want to go back to it. And I don't even realize I said it. You pick up on it. And then later on, wow, that was right. Tony was right. I didn't know I had that. I didn't even have that as a topic for us to discuss today. But here we are talking about it. And then it's just these fantastic conversations that I. I leave our discussion and I go back in to the office, theoretically, because we're all on COVID. Um, go back in and I'm just armed with like so much new empowerment for myself in order to empower my team. So that's been really that's that's been really helpful for me. And I think the reason I'm able to do this is um, is because I do have a new I do have a new sense of confidence through our relationship and through the coaching that we've done.
0: Oh, Thank you so much for sharing that. I was going to ask you next, what's it like to work with me, but I guess we've already covered that. (laughs) So what I love to do at the end of every episode, as you know, because I know you're a listener of the podcast as well, is at the end of every episode, I like to give everybody a leadership mindset moment where we have a simple mindset tip to help the audience adjust how they act or think on the topic of the podcast today. And so I would love for you to... Share with us a mindset shift that listeners can make to help them get ready for stepping into their first VP position or maybe leveling up if they're already a VP. How can they level up in that role? Because that's what I've really seen you do during our time together. Any hot tips for us?
1: Don't be afraid to ask your team questions about where they've been, what their challenges are, what their needs are, and then listen. My tip is, just listen. Don't tell them how to do their jobs. Absorb and internalize and then help them work through their issues themselves. Don't do it for them. I used to also have an issue where I would work, I would solve problems for people. And I've learned on this journey that doesn't empower them. Empowering them is when you work with them to help identify what areas they need help on. So I would say my tip is, is just sit back and listen and learn and then go back into the conversation or take that conversation to where you're working with them constructively on how to solve the problems that they're seeing.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. It's something I wish I'd learned earlier on in my leadership career. So I love that you're sharing that. Where can people connect with you if they would like to stay
1: connected? Just on LinkedIn is a great place to connect with me. And I'm, I'm always happy to have, if somebody wants to send me a, a private IM on LinkedIn, I'm always happy to answer as long as it's not a recruiting.
0: <laughs> Perfect. I will I will make sure that the link to Catherine's LinkedIn profile is in the show notes. Thank you so much for that. Um, have you any final thoughts you would like to share with the audience?
1: I'd just say, Tony, thank you so much for your coaching. It's been fantastic. I want everybody to know Um, if you don't have an executive coach and you feel you want one, don't hesitate to get one. I wish I had a coach 10 years ago. I feel like I got a coach 10 years too late. And I think I would have had a lot more insight into what I wanted, what I didn't want 10 years ago versus today. So my recommendation to anyone is if you're at a point in your career where you're not quite sure what you want to do, you're still looking for your place, you're still looking for your talent and how you can help work with people. Please get a coach. It makes all the difference in the world.
0: Oh, thank you. I just I couldn't agree with you more. Having had a coach myself and obviously I still have a coach. You can't coach yourself. Yeah, life changing, right? That's why I do what I do. (laughs) Thank you. So much for joining us today, Catherine. You are an inspiration. I adore working with you, in case you don't know that already. Um, I think you do, but thank I you. do. <laughs> and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with the audience. Thank you, Tony. Oh, I adore working with Catherine. She kind of made me a little bit embarrassed there. I was like, oh, like getting teary when she was talking about working with me. There's a really good reason I adore working with her and we get on so well. She does all the people, leadership stuff that I want the entire tech world to do. I think if we can really embrace some of the characteristics she's talking about, some of the opportunities, a whole listening piece, we are going to change the face of the tech industry for the better, make better tech, make better products, have happier workforces. What's not to love about that? At the end of the day, my mission statement is change the face of tech. And that isn't just about getting more women into technology, it's about making it a better industry as a whole. So I am so thrilled that Catherine came and shared her story with you today. Now remember, until next time, stay on your tech leadership game, follow your dreams, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Women in Tech podcast.